commotion going on over here a while ago is Jimmy Essery having chest pains. He's been struggling with heart issues for a long time, having chest pains, so praying for him and believing ambulance, ambulance is coming to get him, and, um, but it's going to be good. been praying for him, and let's, just, let's join together as a whole church and pray for him right now. Heavenly Father, we just come to you and lift Jimmy up to you, our brother, right now, God. And Lord, um, there's a reason this happened. I'm praying right now, God, that, Lord, through this event happening right now, God, that your manifest presence would be on him so strong that it has an effect on the paramedics, that it has an effect on the nurses and doctors that he is about to encounter in that emergency room. God, I pray that this would be a situation, God, that you would just reap the most glory from in his life. Lord, if we could fix him ourselves, we would do that because we love him, but we can't. And so we're lifting him up to you and we're trusting you with this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today we're going to pause in our Romans series, at least for this week. So if you have your Bibles and you're already at Romans, just take a right from Romans and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Like I said, originally I wasn't even supposed to be here today. I was supposed to be on my way to India right now, but obviously God had other plans than for me to go. So here I am. Danny was going to be preaching, but we thought it'd be best if he be the one that take them down to the airport in Houston since it is his wife that is going on the trip, so that all worked out good. I think it's kind of funny that this all happened when it did, especially considering what we've been looking at in Romans for the past few weeks. We've been learning of just how sovereign and in control God really is, that there is no detail or event anywhere happening in this world right now that he isn't aware of that he isn't working through. He causes all things to work together for our good and his glory. And being reminded of that so strongly these last couple of weeks gave me a perspective on this whole India situation that I probably wouldn't have had just several weeks ago. I mean, I'm able to handle it without getting bent out of shape and upset or anything like that. You know, anytime something like this happens, something so unexpected and that we can't really make sense of, I like to just take a step back and go, okay, God, what are you saying in all of this? Danny and I met together Friday, the morning after we found out that I wasn't going on the trip. And we talked for a while about what in the world we're going to do now and about what all God might be doing through this. And in that discussion, I began to hear some of what God was saying in this. And through this unexpected turn of events, I believe that God has a word, not just for me or the team members, but for all of us, this whole church. And so that's what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. So... If you're in your Bibles at 2 Corinthians 11, stand with me as we begin reading in verse 24. Paul is writing again. And he says, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. 
Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I had spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Let's pray. God, I'm asking that through your Holy Spirit, you would take these words written here that we just read. And Lord, you would open our ears to hear what you were saying to us specifically. God, I pray, just as I did this morning, that this word today will be a defining moment in somebody's life. God, that it could be a defining moment in this church and what you want to do through us. So Jesus, reveal yourself to us and be glorified in it. In your name we pray, amen. When we first found out that my visa had been denied, um, we originally assumed that this whole trip was going to have to be canceled. And I was absolutely devastated at that thought. Just thinking about how much the people there and the children had been preparing for our arrival and so looking forward to us to come and as a matter of fact, when I sent Pastor Ruth an email, as soon as, not long after I'd sent it, he called my cell phone and I answered it, and he was just sobbing on the other end, so disappointed. And then thinking about all the hard work that some of you have done behind the scenes to make sure that we were able to do this, and all of you who have given to that purpose Thinking about all the gifts that all you sponsors have brought up here for us to take over to the children that you are supporting, not to mention all the money that's already been spent on plane tickets and other things in order to make this happen. And I called Danny Thursday night after um, finding out the bad news, and we decided not to make any hasty decisions right now, but just to take some time during the night and pray and find out what God wants us to do and then we would get together and talk about it the next morning so he talked to Loretta and then he called Sydney and Pearl the other members of the team who were planning on going told them what was going on and for them to pray as well back at home uh, Carol said something to me that really made a lot of sense and she said you know it really would be like God to do something like this especially in our church I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, you're always telling the people how God's will and his purpose and his work in this church is not about just one man. It's about all the people. So you're always telling them how they have just as much power and just as much of the Holy Spirit and just as much ability to do great things for the kingdom as you do. She said, so I see this as a great opportunity for God to just kind of show that, to prove that, that, that you don't have to be there. And I said, hmm, <laughs> maybe something to that. 
And so with that and praying about it, I began to think that maybe the rest of the team did just need to go ahead and go on without me. But I wasn't about to say that to them until I had first heard what they were hearing. And so I was anxious to hear what they thought. So the next morning I got with Danny and he tells me that he talked to all of them that morning and all three of them felt very strongly that they needed to go ahead and go. They said there was a reason why God had first burned this so strong in their hearts when they first heard about his plan in this trip. That there was a reason why when we originally didn't see any way possible for us to be able to raise enough money for us to be able to go, that God saw to it that we raised even more than we needed. And there was a reason why their visas were approved and mine wasn't. You know, them going on ahead is pretty crazy when you look at it in, with a natural perspective. Because they don't know what in the world they are getting themselves into when they go over there. None of us did. I mean, all we've ever had with the pastor over there are phone conversations and email exchanges. None of us have been over there. We really don't know what the situation is. They have no idea what their hotel is going to be like, no idea what the food's going to be like, what the people are going to be like. They just don't know. They don't know how dangerous it might be over there. And on top of all that, before we even started planning this trip, the three of them didn't even know each other. They didn't know each other from Adam. But yet here the three of them are going over there together. This whole trip is just one great big unknown. It's dangerous. It's risky. But they're going anyway. And I'm so proud of them. Because they feel like God is the one that's leading them to do this. And they're trusting him with every step of the way. They've all three decided to live with no regrets. And here's what came out of the conversation that Danny and I had about this Friday morning. This kind of living, taking risks for the kingdom and stepping out in faith should be the norm for those who belong to God. Christians should be the people who constantly live on the edge. Not really knowing what lies ahead, but trusting God with it anyway. We should be the ones who are living fearless and reckless lives where the element of great risk is one of the main ingredients of everything that we do. But sadly, too many Christians, especially here in the U.S., don't live anywhere near a life like that. We're safe, we're comfortable, we're planned out. And the result of that kind of living for years is that we have found ourselves to be in a place where we are oppressed and absolutely eat up with boredom. We are a bored culture. And I could give a myriad of examples that prove that we are just bored out of our minds and all the things that we pursue in order to try to alleviate that boredom. But I'm not going to do that because I think we could probably all figure those things out on our own if we really thought about it. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at some things that Paul lays out in Romans 8 and 9. 
specifically in regards to God's sovereignty. And in that, we learn that God calls those whom he has chosen for his own and that he has a purpose for everyone that he calls and that nothing can prevent God's purpose from being fulfilled in the lives of those whom he has chosen and called. This is a reason that Paul says, then if God is for us, then who in the world can be against us? This is the reason why he says that we are more than conquerors and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Last week, we looked at the doctrine of election and saw how that truth is like a warm blanket of security for us. And just as I said would probably happen by me preaching out of Romans 9, it has created a little bit of controversy here and there in the church. This is a difficult truth for many people to deal with. One thing I have learned that it has caused some of you to dig into your Bibles more, which I'm excited to hear, because that is one of the, the outcomes I was hoping would come from that message. But I really want you to hear what I'm about to say next, because no matter where you stand on this issue of election, here's something I hope that we really understand. We can dig and debate and discuss doctrine until we are blue in the face and never make one small inch of advancement for the kingdom of God. I can break down every word in every text and parse the Greek and the Hebrew definitions with finesse and throw in some humorous analogies and stories to keep you entertained. But if that doesn't cause you to live beyond yourselves by risking everything for the sake of the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom, then we have just wasted our time here together. I want you to have a correct understanding of God's sovereignty, not so that you can then adhere to a particular camp of doctrine, but because when you understand how in control God is and how secure you are in Him, that is what enables us to then live our lives with the greatest abandon. This is what fuels our faith. To be able to take risks for the kingdom rather than being controlled by the fear of what might happen to us. You see, if I truly believe that God set his affections on me long before I was born and that he is working all things for my good and his glory and that nothing can prevent his purpose from being fulfilled in my life, then there is absolutely nothing for me to be afraid about. I mean, do you see this? I shouldn't fear getting on an airplane and flying across the sea because if a plane crash was going to prevent God's purpose from being fulfilled in my life, then the plane's not going to crash. I shouldn't be worried about going into some disease-ridden slum to minister to the least of these because... If me catching a disease from that is going to prevent God's purpose from being fulfilled in my life, then it's not going to happen. 
I shouldn't hold back giving my money away for the kingdom because of the fear that I might not have enough for myself. If not having enough money for myself is going to prevent God's purpose from being fulfilled in my life, then I'm never going to run out. His word says that he will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That right there then frees me up to be able to give and give and give without ever having to worry about not having enough. I don't need to stockpile anything for the future because Jesus has already stockpiled all of my provision. And with that kind of security in mind, I'm free to get those things in play for the kingdom rather than letting them sit there and collect dust with the expectation of something that may or may not happen in the future while people around me are dying. And here's the other side of that. Another reason I don't have to fear Getting on a plane, for example, is because let's say that God's plan for my life does include a plane crash. What if he gets more glory from me being killed in a plane crash than he would for me to arrive safe and sound on the ground? Well, that's okay. Because as a chosen, blood-bought child of the king, my life exists to bring him glory. That's what we should be living for no matter what. No matter how God chooses to extract that glory from our life. This is our purpose in this world. This is why we were created and chosen by God to bring him glory in whatever way he chooses to do it. And so if I die in a plane crash, at least I die with the honor and the privilege of bringing glory to my Savior. I mean, think about this. If you have been chosen and called and redeemed by God through faith in Jesus that he gave you, you are forgiven. You are set free. Your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. You have been made a son and a daughter of the creator of the universe. <laughs> Anything after that is just bonus. Here's what I mean. Football season's on right now. And as some of you watched a game later today or the Cowboy game tonight, you will probably see a play where both teams are down in a set position. And just before the offense snaps the ball, a defensive lineman crosses the line of scrimmage into the neutral zone. And as the play continues to go, an official throws a yellow flag. And the announcers on TV are going to say, they've got a free play, which means that since they now are playing with uh, a penalty on the defense, they are free to take a huge shot downfield. They are free to run a very risky play that they probably wouldn't run in absence of that penalty. Because it means they can go downfield and if the other team intercepts it, it's not going to count because they've already got a penalty on them. But if we do score big on that play... 
then we can just deny the penalty and take the play. You have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Free play. Go risk it all. Because you've got the fact that you are saved to fall back on. Everything else is bonus. I picked this text in 2 Corinthians 11 this morning because it is a picture of someone who is living on the edge. Doing everything he can to leverage his life for the sake of the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom. You know, Paul, I don't believe, got caught up in the details of debating doctrine because he didn't have time for that. He was too busy building the kingdom. He would just lay the truth out there and go, okay, now if you would excuse me while y'all debate the details and the minutia of what I just said, if you would excuse me, I've got a kingdom to go build. I've got another shipwreck that I've got to go be a part of. Let's look at this a little closer. 24, he says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Now, 39 was the most that they believe a man could take without dying. They believed that 40 would kill him. And so Paul came one lash away from death, not once, not twice, five different times. And he says, three times I was beaten, once I was stoned. This does not mean he spent any time in Colorado. (laughs) And getting stoned (laughs) meant that you were going to die. It was a death sentence. It was not done in order to torture someone or to hurt them real bad. It was a capital punishment. People died when they got stoned with big, heavy rocks. And if you read about the count in Acts where this happened to Paul, the men who stoned him, they thought he was dead. They thought they had done what they set out to do, and so they left him for dead there. And as soon as they walk away, Paul just pops up and keeps going. He keeps preaching the gospel. He keeps expanding the kingdom. And then he says, three times I was shipwrecked. After experiencing just one shipwreck, most of us would probably do everything we can to avoid boats altogether. But twice, forget about it. <laughs> it wasn't very good. But we would. We'd, there's no way we'd get back on a boat again. I mean, but Paul went through shipwreck, three different shipwrecks and he kept getting on a boat time and time again because he had to in order to advance the gospel over there nobody's heard it over here on the other side of this body of water so i got to get on a boat again the kingdom needs to be expanded over here so i got to get on a boat again to do that knowing that i'm probably gonna wreck again and then he says a night and a day i spent in the deep honestly i don't even know what that means But it sounds awful terrifying. And he says, I've been on frequent journeys 
and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Why? Why was Paul willing to go through all that? I mean, this kind of stuff happened to him so often that you know that every time he set out to go preach the gospel somewhere, he had to have expected something bad was going to happen. But he went anyway. Why would he just keep doing it? I'll tell you why. It's because everything that he wrote to the church in Rome in chapters 8 and 9 He really believed that. He believed it. He believed that God was in control of every detail of his life. He believed that every one of these bad experiences God was working through for Paul's good and God's glory. He believed that no matter what happened to him, nothing was going to separate him from the love of the Father. Nothing was going to prevent God's purpose from being fulfilled in his life. And he knew that what he said in Romans 8.18 was true. When he said, the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. He was living for that glory. He was willing to risk everything for that glory. Not his glory, but God's glory. Listen, when you know that you are in God's perfect will, no matter what that situation is, there is absolutely no other place on this earth that you would rather be. Better to be in God's perfect will, a night and a day in the deep, than to be out of God's will, safe and sound on the couch in front of the TV. Church, God has called us, and he hasn't called us to heaven, or we'd be there right now. He's called us to an incredible adventure until he does call us home. But most of us are really too scared to risk anything to experience it. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he will find it. Folks, Jesus didn't carry his cross up a hill and then drown in his own blood as he hung on that cross so that you you and I could live boring lives. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Paul's account of his life here in Romans 11 may have been hard, it may have been scary, it may have been dangerous, it may have even been painful, but I promise you, he would have called it in a heartbeat, abundant. It was so abundant because he knew he was right in the middle of the Father's will for his life and he knew who he was living for. He was set on the purpose that God had called and created him for. John Piper tells a story about a funeral that he did for two elderly ladies who had been a part of his church. They were good friends. 
both widows, and they, did, they decided to spend their retirement together expanding the kingdom in South America by reaching out to the poor and needy down there. Well, one day while they were down there, they were riding in this bus, one of those infamous chicken buses that was winding around the mountainous road, one of those real narrow ones that are cause you to white-knuckle the whole time that you're riding up there. And something happened, and they actually did go over the side, and both of these women were killed. Popper said at their service, he said, I have heard all kinds of words to describe what happened to these ladies. Words like misfortune and tragedy. He said, but make no mistake about it, this was not a tragedy. He said, let me show you what a tragedy really is. Then he pulled out an article that was in Reader's Digest titled, Start Now, Retire Early. And part of the article said this. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect seashells. And he said, that church is a tragedy. To have to stand before God when it's all said and done to give an account of your life. And all you have to offer is going, here you go, God. Here are my shells. Here's my boat. You like my boat, God? If all you had to present to God was the stuff that you've accumulated around you, that would be the greatest of tragedies. At the end of his life, Paul said this to Timothy, writing from his prison cell, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And not long after writing that, he was taken out of his cell, And had his head cut off for the glory of God. There will be some on that day who will not love the appearing of the righteous judge. People like Bob and Penny who all they're going to be able to give an account for is the stuff that they have collected around them. They kept the faith all right. But it was faith in the American dream rather than the glory of God. Folks, I know the two get blended a little too much. But the American dream and the gospel are two different things. They're two different things. 
The question I have for you this morning, it's not, what are you doing for God? Because I believe that question misses the mark. The question I have for you is this. What is your faith in? Because where your faith is, that's what determines how you live. Is your faith in the plans that you have made? Is your faith in your financial stability? Is it in your ability to be so prepared for the future? Is your faith in your safety, your comfort? Is it in what you can just see with your eyes, or is it in God's sovereign hand being at work and even the things that you can't see? Now, I'm not saying that having nice things is bad. Not at all. What's bad is when our joy, our confidence, our identity, and our faith is in our things. Church, haven't we had just about enough of playing it safe? Have we? Have we not yet found that pursuing the American dream isn't near as exciting and fulfilling as building the kingdom of God? Have we not yet had enough of the boredom of that vain pursuit that we have bought into in our culture? God has called us and invited us to an abundant life. It's not just an invitation. It is a summons, if you will. He has summoned us to abundant life. And he has given us the security to pursue that abundant life with all-out abandon. Let's pray. Lord, we confess again that we have made so much of us and so little of you. We confess that we have exhausted ourselves trying to build our own kingdoms rather than yours. We confess that we have lived more for the sake of our own reputations than we do for the sake of the gospel. Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you use conviction that some may be feeling right now. Use that conviction to open their eyes to see you in ways that they never had before. God, I know you don't want us to do this through compulsion or some obligatory act that we go through. God, you want us to do it because it is a fire in our bones that we cannot contain. You want us to do it out of the joy and the thrill of just being able to be in the middle of your will and serve you and get involved in what you are doing. 
So God, I pray that you would stir that within us right now, that you would increase our faith, that you would let us see you in ways that we never have before. Lord, that we would be so much more about you than we are anything else. Anything else that this world has to offer. Lord, if nobody else is, I pray that we, the ones that are hearing this message right now, whom you made a point to make sure was in this room, hearing this right now, or even the ones that may be hearing this over the internet, God, that we would be the ones who live our lives with abandon, who are willing to risk everything, knowing that we have been given a free play through the cross of Christ. Lord, make us really believe, live from the security that we have in you. Lord, again, make this a defining moment, a defining word in somebody's life, in this church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.